<laughs> well, good morning, everyone, once again. And welcome to our concluding offering for this year's Spiritual Renewal Week. And for those of you who are just joining us for today, welcome to our Sunday service. It's been a glorious week, and uh, I, I just have to take a moment to thank all of our presenters. You know, we had people offering different music, kirtan, uh, singing from so many different places there and classes. There were people from Seattle, our communities in Seattle, and Sacramento, Palo Alto, Los Angeles, many from our community in Assisi, and they did a beautiful song as part of the concert. And then from India, we had teachers from many of our centers, from in the north, Delhi, and in the south, Pune and Chennai and Bangalore and our, from our monastery, uh, Lenavala. So just think, all those people added their energy, their voices, the 94 singers for O Master. And then, of course, we have to thank our remarkable online team who, yeah. Who we really, we could not, this could not have happened without them. And this is just the beginning. So you can take a breather, but <laughs> get ready for next year. <laughs> because even if the pandemic has lessened and moved on, I think we've created a paradigm here that is so effective for people. And by the way, if you didn't watch uh, Morley's recounting of the descent of the Ganga, please do take the time. It was absolutely riveting. I, I, we were enthralled watching it. So it's about an hour. So set aside that time and enjoy it. And I also wanted to say what an auspicious day this is. You know, the theme of Spiritual Renewal Week was uh, Yogananda's 100th anniversary, living his teachings today. And today in India, they're celebrating Guru Purnima as Ramesha mentioned. And again, let me just thank the musicians and singers who just did remarkably well. And Guru Purnima, what it is, is it's celebrating the birthday of Veda Vyasa, who gave us, recounted, so it would not be lost, the great light, the Mahabharata, and this is celebrating his birthday, but by extension, it's acknowledging the gift of enlightened teachers to truth seekers, to all of us. And so what a perfect day to end our acknowledgement of Yogananda's mission for Spiritual Renewal Week on Guru Purnima. And we're just, um, my heart is very full. I, it's hard to put it into words how much this week has meant and how grateful we are to all of you. I could name hundreds of others who helped make this happen, but uh, you know who you are and God knows who you are, so that's all that's important. So our reading today 
as though it were divinely planned, is about the guru-disciple relationship. And it's abiding in God. And let me just take this moment to, to offer my profound gratitude to Swami Kriyananda. Without him, none of this would be. None of us would be here. We would be having some very dim shadow of the life we have led without Swamiji. So thank you, Swami. We know you're with us, and please accept the profound gratitude of our hearts. Abiding in God. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Yogananda often emphasized, more often to his disciples than to the general public, but also to everyone generally, for it was a universal teaching, the importance of attunement. For divine understanding cannot be created, it must be perceived. To the disciples, Yogananda spoke of the importance of attunement with the guru. To others, he urged the importance, at least, of attuning oneself to higher consciousness. Can an eagle rise without the support of the sustaining air? Jesus Christ said in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 15, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. How can we abide in him? Jesus says, if my words abide in you. By words, he meant not only his spoken words, but his vibrations his consciousness, of which the words are only an expression. We must abide by the teachings, but we must also absorb those teachings into ourselves, that they become our own experience. For disciples of this path, the more in their hearts they live consciously in the presence of the masters, the more they will find the divine presence living within them. For all truth-seekers, whether disciples or not, the more they live sustained inwardly by the awareness of God's presence, the higher will they find themselves soaring in wisdom and joy. For the Bhagavad Gita says in the 10th chapter, I am the source of everything. For me, all creation emerges Blessed with this realization, the wise, awe-stricken, adore me.
Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Kamala has been adjusting the mics all week long for us so that we can be heard. I'm going to read this morning one of the most beautiful poems of all, God's Boatman. This is God in the form of the Guru speaking to us. I want to ply my boat many times across the gulf after death and return to Earth's shores from my home in space I want to load my boat with all those waiting thirsty ones who have been left behind, that I may carry them to the opalescent pool of iridescent joy, where my Father distributes his all-desire-quenching liquid peace. Oh, I will come back again and again, crossing a million crags of suffering, with bleeding feet I will come, if need be, a trillion times, as long as I know that one stray brother is left behind. I want thee, O God, that I may give thee to all. I want salvation, that I may give it to all. Free me then, O Lord, from the bondage of this body, that I may show others how they too can free themselves. I want thine everlasting happiness, but I want also to share it with others, that all my brothers may find the way to happiness forever and forever in thee. I want to also read something that our friend Sangeeta sent from India this morning, uh, having to do with Guru Purnima. This is from Master also. The guru-disciple relationship is the highest expression of friendship for it is based on unconditional divine love and wisdom. It is the loftiest and most sacred of all relationships. Christ and his disciples were all one in spirit as are my master, Swami Sri Yukteswar, and I and those who are in tune with me because of the common bond of God's divine love. One who partakes of this relationship is on the way to wisdom and freedom. So I think we all want to partake of that relationship. I find this poem, God's Boatman, to be both profoundly beautiful and, and comforting. But also, I find it a little disturbing for myself because, frankly, I may be one of those waiting thirsty ones, but I don't want to be so attached to my delusion that Master has to leave his home in space and ply his boat across the gulf after death. I would prefer to continue to try to understand that death does not exist 
and therefore there is no golf. And therefore, I, Master doesn't have to do all the rowing. Let me do a little bit of the rowing and get across that gulf myself. Let alone do I want him to cross a million crags of suffering with bleeding feet if necessary because I'm one of those waiting ones beside the roadside. But then the last part of that is actually almost like an affirmation saying, I'll read it again. Think of this, not as Master talking to us, but as us doing this affirmation. It's almost like there are three parts. He's going to row his boat for the thirsty waiting ones. He's going to cross a million crags of suffering for those who aren't waiting but are still wandering in delusion. But then there's the third part, and it's, I... So this is us speaking on behalf of him or God in us speaking. I want thee, O God, that I may give thee to all. I want salvation that I may give it to all. Free me then, O Lord. Master doesn't need to say free me then, O Lord. This is us. Free me then, O Lord, from the bondage of this body that I may show others how they too can free themselves. And it goes on for a couple of more lines. But that's, I think, more the aspect of this beautiful poem that applies to all of us. We're trying to free ourselves from this body, from the delusion that we are this body. So come back to Master having to ply his boat across the gulf after death. What does that mean? He's free in space. He's joyful. He's expanded. He's everywhere. But because we can't perceive them, we can't perceive him except if he manifests in a body, then because of our delusion, he has to take on a body, which is not comfortable. Master said when he has to take on a body, it's like getting into a hot overcoat on a warm summer day. It's not comfortable for him, but he's willing to do it. But let's not, you and I at least, demand that of him. Let's try to realize that we can connect with him without him having to manifest in a body. In fact, he's here already. He's right here in this amphitheater. He's sitting right beside you. He's not keeping social distancing. He's inside your mask. He is with all of us all of the time, but we normally don't perceive that because our minds are still vibrating on the level of the senses and, and on the level of gross material reality. But as soon as we break that, we'll begin to see magic all around us. Now, I'm not talking just theoretically here. We have a member of the community who, his, her mother, Ophelia, was a very, very beautiful and pure soul. And Ophelia came up as a Catholic and uh, was going to be a nun, but it didn't quite work out. So 
she married and had something like 10 or 12 children. And, but she would take um, groups of Ananda, especially high school children, um, down to an orphanage in Mexico that she was connected with. At any rate, Ophelia was visiting her daughter here in the community. And at one point, she went out walking. So she was walking down. Um, they lived where uh, Benai and um, his family live now. So they lived in that house. So she was walking in the fields there. And Master appeared to her. And when she came home, she was in a stunned state. Her daughter thought, well, maybe she's had a stroke or something. She said, Mom, I'll call a doctor. And her mother said, no doctor, no doctor. Her mother mainly spoke Spanish, a little bit of English, but mainly Spanish. Um, no doctor, no doctor. And after an hour or two, she came out enough to relate what had happened. So she was walking, and Master appeared to her in physical form, right here. And she said they talked, and her daughter said, what did you talk about? She said, my, our family, my kids. And she said, but you don't speak much English. How did you talk? He said, we talked. Master doesn't need to speak English when he's inside of our own head. At any rate, they talked for some time. And then as she was leaving, she said, do you often come here? And he said, oh, I'm here all the time. Now, think about that for a minute. Master is here all of the time. We don't have to call him to come. We don't have to ask him to cross the gulf after death. We have to raise our level of perception. And if we can raise our level of perception, then we will see him here all of the time. Now that's why we want to be attuned to the great masters, because their level of perception helps us to see a reality that otherwise we can't see. There was a story of, most of you have seen the movie Finding Happiness and the actress in that movie, uh, Elizabeth Rome. She still stays in touch. In fact, we were supposed to talk with her last week. We'll probably talk with her next week. Uh, we still stay in touch with her. She was visiting a few years ago with her daughter, who was about six at that time. And after the weekend, we were driving her down to uh, the Sacramento airport, the two of them. And her daughter said, Mommy, I had an interesting dream last night. Do you want to hear it? And, of course, we were all happy to hear the dream, thinking it would be something, you know, not not very important, but nice to share with a child. Well, she became our teacher. She said, I dreamt last night that I was in swimming in the pond. This was in not this pond, but uh, the pond by the goat dairy. So she was swimming in the pond, and she said, and a group of fairies came to me. And the queen fairy, 
I knew she was the queen because she had the long golden hair and the golden skin. She came and she hovered in front of me and she said, there are not many places in the world that want us anymore. Most places don't want us. They want us here at Ananda. But most places don't in the world don't want us anymore. Can you help us find more places where we're wanted? Now the same goes for the guru. Most places in the world don't want a guru. They don't want to be in that vibration. They want to cling to their state of delusion. You just look at the state of the world right now. You know, here we're all sitting on a beautiful, relatively temperate summer day, and we aren't even thinking about the weather. We're thinking about the subject, what we're talking about. But if the storms, if we were in the midst of a, a, a cyclone or a hurricane or driving winds and rain dashing down, would you pay much attention to what I'm saying? You'd be so caught up in the storms that you would forget paying attention to higher truths. Well, that's what's going on in the world right now. There's a storm of discord and disharmony and the winds are howling the the winds of worries are howling around us and the worries are shrieking and we're all paying attention or too much giving too much attention to the weather and not attention to how to get out of that and so what we need to do the reason that storm is not upon us now is because we have drawn it. We've drawn it for our own learning experience. And if all we do is pay attention to the storm, we won't be able to lift our consciousness out of it. So let's not pay too much attention. If I could have a prayer, I would pray that there might be some, I don't know, gas cloud that passes through the earth from outer space and all of a sudden like a grand infection goes through all of humanity and we all become incredibly kind to each other. If that happened, the virus would disappear because it wouldn't need to teach us a lesson. All problems would disappear. So that's attunement with the guru. We're trying to lift our consciousness up, and if we can lift our consciousness up, then uh, by attunement with the guru, then everything else that we want comes. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first attunement with the guru, and all that you desire will be added unto you. He, he won't leave anything behind. But those who are in tune, God works on their behalf. God helps them out. There was a, we've been reading a, a book, there was a, a, by a disciple of one of Master's most advanced and certainly 
most eccentric disciples, George Gale. Um, Master was giving talks. He was in Wisconsin, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He was walking down the street, and this fellow, who had no idea who he was, was walking down the other direction. And Master said to him, George, you should come to my talk tonight. Well, George was just, he didn't know what was going on. He was just minding his own business, and this strange fellow says, come to my talk tonight. He didn't even, so he wandered on a little farther, and then he saw a poster with this guy's picture on it and announcing the lecture. So he went to the lecture. At any rate, he was an extremely high soul, and um Many, but many, many miracles involved, but um, very, very eccentric. So he lived in Milwaukee, and he built, this was, you know, early on, so Master, I'm not sure exactly when, but he met him in the 20s, and then he went through the Depression. In order to help people, he built this incredibly ramshackle place with used lumber and uh, they never threw away a nail. They had to straighten out. This fellow who's writing the book said he straightened out thousands of nails. And so they built this incredibly ramshackle place. And the city government condemned it immediately. It was just terrible. They condemned it, but they couldn't get him out of it. And he was there year after year. And there was some clause where they had to come in and inspect it in order to declare it unsafe, but he wouldn't let them in, and they couldn't get a warrant. And so year after year, this went on, and he kept adding on rooms after rooms because during the Depression, he would take people in so that they could have a place to live. Well, at one point, some man and his wife and child were living there, and I don't know what the dispute was, but this man was mad. I think he, as I remember, he wanted to be in charge of the others, and and uh, Dr. George or Master George, as they called him, knew that he wasn't unfit. So he said, I'm going to get back at you. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to invite the inspector in, and this place is going to be condemned and torn down. And the, the you know the friend who heard this the man writing the book Sam um, said oh what are we going to do what are we going to do and George just was quiet for a few minutes and then he said don't worry Divine Mother will take care of it and so in the middle of the night three in the morning they hear this family all of a sudden rush out get in their car and drive away. And they were never seen again. Well, the reason they got in their car and drove away is they went into the room where they were, and it was filled with cockroaches. So many cockroaches that they took buckets, five-gallon buckets of dead cockroaches out. And when uh, you know one of the pest control people saw it, he said, now this is very strange. This is an Asian cockroach. They don't exist in this country. I've never seen one before in my whole career. I've seen pictures of them. Well, so 
Seek ye first attunement with God, and all these things shall be added unto you. When Sam asked George why they were never able to tear this place down, he said simply, Master didn't want them to. Master wanted me to stay here. Basta. End of the story. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Because God is the vine, and it's his power that flows to us, his power that comes to us, that animates us. And we can't see that, and therefore we think that we're separate. We think there's a death. We think that there's a gulf after death. And because we are insistent in staying in that delusion, then Master has to ply his boat across the gulf after the delusive death, and he has to cross a million crags. Well, I myself want to get out of that position. So how to do it? Well, Swami is a perfect example of how to do that. His whole life was built around attunement with Master. He said at one point, this, I don't know, was 20 years or more before his passing. So it wasn't at the end of his life. It was a little over halfway through. He said to us, I have long tried to attune my every thought and my every action to Master. But I realized that isn't enough. Now I'm also trying to attune every feeling that I have to master. So attunement of our thoughts, our actions, our feelings to the divine, that is the way out of this dilemma. And it's not like Swami made this up. We repeat it every week in the Festival of Light. Thou shalt love thy Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all your feelings, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your activity and life force, and with all your soul. We repeat that over and over. But like so many things we repeat, but we don't really try to do it. Well, Swami gave us the model of trying to do that, of really trying to attune every thought, every action, every feeling to master. So how do we attune our thoughts to master? Well, first, we have to think of master. First, we have to have, before any of this works, we have to have the desire, the intention to do that. If you don't want to do it, it's not going to happen. Swami was asked on a, by an interviewer, um, do, do you need to have a guru? Well, we assumed we knew what the answer to that one would be. But he said, no, you don't need a guru. Why would you want to have a guru? You don't need a guru. Unless you're trying to find God, of course. Well, then you need a guru. Well, so... We don't need to attune ourselves to master. Why, why in the world would we? You look around the world and see the news. I don't think many of those people who are 
screaming and demanding and pounding the podium with their impotent delusion and trying to enforce it on others, I don't think they're trying to attune themselves with Master. But if you and I are, it starts with the intention. And that intention has to grow in intensity until we are desperate to attune our thoughts with Master. That's where Swami was. He was desperate. He knew he was in delusion. He knew he couldn't get out of it on his own. He knew he needed the help of a guru. And so he then, with all his strength and will, tried to attune his every thought with Master. So it it begins with intention, but then we have to consciously do that. We have to have a conversation with Master. We have to have a conversation in meditation. We should do the listening part of that conversation, not the talking part. That's why we don't have deep meditations, is that our conversation with Master in meditation is talking at him. But we should have the conversation with him of listening to him, sensitively, quietly. So so giving our thoughts in meditation, we should so attune, so offer our thoughts to Master that we don't have thoughts. The silence comes when we can go beyond the mind churning and churning and thinking all the time. We should try that in meditation. When we're in activity, it's you, we can't do that. So in activity, we should try to relate all of our thoughts to Master. Master, is this a good idea? What do you think about this? I'm having this problem, Master. How should I handle it? Let me attune that to you. We should attune our actions to Master because if we do, he will guide us. He will let us know how to act and give us the strength to do so. And probably most importantly, but hardest, we should tune all of our feelings also to Master. That means what if we attune our feelings, our likes and dislikes to Master, what are Master's likes and dislikes? Well, they certainly aren't for anything of the lower three chakras. He doesn't want possessions or money. He wouldn't even keep money. People gave him money, but he wouldn't keep it. As Nim Karoli Baba said, money flows around a saint. It doesn't flow to them. So when we try to offer something to Master, it flows around him to help his work. So he doesn't need anything of the lower three chakras. So what does he need of our feelings? He needs us to raise the vibration in attunement with him and for us to give away those feelings that keep us bound in delusion. Yes, he wants us to give them to him. Not because he wants them. He wants to throw them away for us. But if we hold back, then he won't steal from us. He won't take them without our willing participation. So we have to give all of our desires to him, every last one.
Now, it's not easy to do. If you think about it, we all have little desires that we're not willing to give up yet. Well, you know, if if we were to pass the basket here, most of us would probably put a little token into the basket to help the work. Very few of us would put everything we own into the basket to help the work. But eventually we have to do that. Not that we don't maintain stewardship of it. We can't maintain in our minds possession of our possessions. They aren't ours. They're God's. We have to, every feeling, everything that is holding us back, gradually, a little bit at a time, we have to offer up. And it seems like a hard or maybe impossible thing to do. But in fact, as the load gets lighter and lighter, it's not that we hold back. We're desperate to give everything to him. We want to be done with it. And we still have karmic patterns and habits that maybe prevents that. But we don't have to have the intention to hold back. That's what we can control. We can have the intention to give everything and then to try to follow through on that intention. And if we do this, if we do everything we can to attune our consciousness to Master, then he will free us from everything holding us back. And that's that's the import of this uh, subject today and the import of this beautiful poem of Master's. Let's so attune ourselves to Master that we live in his vibration. What was the fruit of Swami doing that for a lifetime? The fruit is what I'm certainly seeking, and I expect all of you are too. He said toward the end of his life, I no longer know where Swami Kriyananda leaves off and Master begins. It all seems one to me. God bless you. Home is a home is a Blowing betrayal far, far away. Home is the knowledge heaven is near. Home's the end of the Often I dream that love
island free from all care I discover my homes everywhere home is a green hill home is a Home's the end of the 